University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkland. Visit ubc-br.org or at ubcbr on Facebook for more information. Well, it's challenging to find something to say about a story that we've all heard a million times before. I'm as guilty as anyone of breezing through familiar stories and nodding along as if to say, yep, I know this one already, as if the, the words on the page are what matter most and not the stirring that they produce within our hearts. For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart, as the book of Hebrews says. If our eyes are open to it, these stories from Scripture can strike us in all kinds of new ways, depending on where we are on any given day. So where are you today? What stirs in your heart this morning, this Palm Sunday? What brings you here to this room today? What are you hoping for from God? Here's where I am today. I'm a mixture of all sorts of things. Sadness and anger because of yet another school shooting at the Covenant School in Nashville. In the same way that I sometimes breeze over familiar words of scripture, I find myself breezing over that phrase, school shooting. Those two words should never go together. And yet, here we are. We've become so accustomed to them. Six people are dead, including three nine-year-old children. And I'm sure you're aware that the headmaster of that school is a Baton Rouge native, graduate of U High and LSU, and so perhaps it hits a little closer to home this time for some of us. I'm sad and I'm angry because of politicians who at best seem incapable of doing anything to try to prevent this from happening, and at worst, seem unwilling to even try to prevent these tragedies from happening, of doing anything that might in turn hurt their popularity. I'm sad and I'm angry, but I'm trying to hang on to hope. Speaking of hope, I do feel some of that today too. I'm sure you're aware that after worship today, we will gather for our spring gathering outside. We'll eat together. We'll play games together. Children will receive more candy than their parents probably would prefer. Would prefer. And it gives me hope to see a crowd of old friends and new friends gathering to celebrate life and to remind ourselves that God is present with us. We don't do these events just because they're fun, though they are. 
We do them because to gather together in joy and laughter and fellowship reminds us that though the world around us and our lives can be so hard sometimes, we have one another to support and to be supported by. And God's Spirit moves in a powerful way when we do that. So that's where I am this morning. Where are you this morning? What burdens are you carrying? What joys lift you up? What expectations and hopes do you have for what God might do in your life, in our lives? When Jesus entered Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, the people there were full of their own expectations and hopes, their struggles and joys. Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11, tell a familiar story, but this morning, I pray that God may open our ears and our hearts to hear it and receive it afresh, as if for the first time. The scriptures say this. When they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus gave two disciples a task. He said to them, Go into the village over there, and as, you, as soon as you enter, you will find a donkey tied up and a colt with it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that their master needs them. And so he sent them off right away. Now this happened to fulfill what the prophet said. Say to daughter Zion, look, your king is coming to you, humble and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the donkey's offspring. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had ordered them. They brought the donkey and the colt and laid their clothes on them, and then he sat on them. Now a large crowd spread their clothes on the road. Others cut palm branches off the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds in front of him and behind him shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up. Who is this? They asked. The crowds answered, It's the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. The crowds had expectations and hopes for this prophet Jesus from Nazareth. The religious leaders and the politicians had expectations and hopes as well, though theirs were a little more sinister. And certainly there were those who hadn't made up their minds yet about this man and whether they wanted to follow him. They were waiting to see what he might do this week in Jerusalem. They hadn't yet heard about what happened just outside of the city a few verses before when Jesus healed two blind men on the side of the road. Those two men perhaps didn't have any expectation or hope of seeing that day, but they were surprised, blindsided even, no pun intended, 
by the grace and mercy and compassion of this man who would stop everything for two beggars on the street. They got up and followed Jesus. And of course, there are the disciples. Those 12 young men who had been following Jesus for a few years, they knew him pretty well, but it would seem not well enough. Just a few verses before this story, immediately before the two blind men were healed, we read of two other blind men of a different sort, two of Jesus' own disciples and closest friends, James and John, Zebedee's sons, and their mother. And though their mother seems to be the one initiating and maneuvering and maybe manipulating on behalf of her boys, they are in on it too. You might remember what happens. They want to know whether they can have the best seats at the table with Jesus when he marches into Jerusalem to overthrow the Romans. See, they were still blind to Jesus' true mission. They had their hearts still set on revolution and violent insurrection rather than the transformative power of servitude and love. Their request sounds somewhat reminiscent of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness that we read about a few short weeks ago when he was tempted to worship Satan and gain the whole world. These two disciples apparently thought that following Jesus might get them a similar kind of glory and power. And Jesus says to them, that's not the way it will be with you. Whoever wants to be great among you will be a servant. They had expectations and hopes, which didn't match up with what Jesus had in mind. What are your expectations and hopes? What are you bringing with you this morning as Jesus enters Jerusalem this Palm Sunday? A large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, cut palm branches, and laid them on the road, creating a royal welcome for this prophet, this preacher, this king who comes in the name of the Lord. They all shout, Hosanna, save us. Their expectations were derived from the scriptures, specifically in this case, Zechariah and Isaiah, in which there is the hope of a Messiah for Jerusalem. In Zechariah, there's a proclamation that Jerusalem is no longer in danger from their enemies, but that God is raising one up who would usher in a time of peace. This would be a righteous and powerful leader, one who would turn the tides of history in their favor. Not to pick on James and John too much here, but my guess is when they read Zechariah chapter 9, with all of their hopes and dreams of being part of a glorious rebellion, they might have easily breezed over and missed this one little important detail that Matthew brings to the forefront. Look, your king will come to you. He is righteous and victorious. They liked that part. He is humble and riding on a donkey. 
I'm surmising a little bit, but I'm guessing that last part was a little challenging for them to understand. But you can see what's happening here, can't you? Powerful leaders assert themselves. They make known their strength and might. They put on display their greatness with all the pomp and circumstance that a parade such as this would warrant. But not Jesus. Not this king. This king is humble. Riding not on a Clydesdale or a war horse, but on a donkey, meek and mild-mannered, a little lower to the ground, closer to the people he rides into Jerusalem to serve and to save. And whatever all the various expectations might have been for this moment, this triumphal entry into Jerusalem, as it's been called, Matthew tells us that the whole city was stirred up. This is one of those moments where our translation leaves much to be desired. Stirred up, in this instance, is the Greek word seo, from which we get our English word seismic. When Jesus humbly rode into the city, the whole city shook It quaked, perhaps even began to split into two, the supportive crowds on one side, for now at least, and those on the other side who were plotting Jesus' demise, his punishment for the simple crime of providing hope to the people that they themselves couldn't offer. And speaking of hope, again, what are yours? What hopes have you brought here today? What expectations? The gospel narrative is full of hopes and expectations. And Jesus meets them often by surprising everyone around him. To the blindness of those he encounters, both physical and spiritual, Jesus brings sight When he meets those who are sick and beyond repair, whose expectations of life were nothing but discouragement, Jesus brought healing. For those who were forgotten, cast off by everyone expecting nothing but loneliness and despair, Jesus brought presence and purpose. Consistently throughout these stories, Jesus either completely flips upside down the small-minded expectations of those he meets or exceeds their hopes beyond their wildest imaginations. Sometimes he makes them uncomfortable, like those in power here in our story today, watching from behind the crowd as Jesus makes a statement about the kind of humble transformation they can't yet understand. Sometimes, it gives encouragement and purpose to those who have been told they are nothing. Jesus rides into Jerusalem at the beginning of the week to cheers and praises. The end of this Passion Week will bring about something different. The inevitable outcome of this moment 
when the kingdom that was prophesied about would seem all but defeated. There will be some, the powerful, who will feel that they've triumphed, and others who will feel that all hope is lost. Expectations come to fruition. But we know what Jesus does with our expectations. Sight to the blind, purpose for the purposeless, presence for the suffering, comfort for the grieving. At the end of the Passion Week, it would seem that death has brought an end to all of that. But by the end of the weekend, come Easter Sunday morning, Jesus will have something to say about that too.